Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. My name is Tim Barton, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Vine. We've been in a series, I mean, if you've been here with us, that you know um, that we've been in a series um, in Isaiah um, towards the end of the book. Today, we're going to be in Isaiah 63 verses 15 through 19. But as we get ready to look at that, I just want us to kind of pause and and think together for a minute. Because there's been a lot of things, a lot of things going on um, within our church family. A lot of hard things going on. Um, We've seen sicknesses. We've seen broken families. We've seen untimely deaths. We see um, people having to carry, care for parents um, now and, and wondering where the strength's going to come from to do that. We've seen pain in lives due to, to our own sin, right? We've also seen pain in lives due to what seem to be attacks from the outside. And it seems at times that in, in every area, every arena, right, it, it seems like There's challenge and even at times despair. There's things that make us grieve. Things that make us have heavy hearts that make us mourn. But I also want to say that while all that is going on, the opposite is also true. I wouldn't even necessarily call it an opposite. But there's another thing happening. There's a lot of joyful things that we see happening. There are children being born. Seems like they just keep on coming. <laughs> we see people coming to faith in Jesus for the first time. People being baptized. We see new people saying, standing up and saying, I want to be in it with you, in the, with this messy group of people who are all looking to Jesus. I want to be in it with you. And so they're joining um, the church. We see new elders coming. We see cancers in remission. We see restoration of marriages where God is doing miracles in marriages where we thought it would never happen. So there's a lot of those things going on too that are causing us to rejoice together. And I say all that because when we walk together as a church family, we're called to teach. We're called to model to one another what it looks like to, to look to Jesus together in all circumstances. The really hard ones and the really good ones. We're to fortify one another against the lies of the world. What the world says is good. We're to to help walk together and, and, and help each other see that in life. The lies of the world that say you're not valuable. You need to do this to be approved of. We're to call to mind what we know about God from his word together. We're to ask him to look upon us, to teach us the truths of his word by the power of his Holy Spirit, not just in our heads, but deep in our hearts that they become part of what we know God to be. That's what's going on in this passage this morning that we're going to look at. That's what's happening. You may remember the context here if you've been with us. If not, just a brief catch-up. Isaiah 
has, was given a prophecy to the southern kingdom of Israel who thought when the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians, the southern kingdom thought they had dodged a bullet. Um, and yet, here we are, Isaiah said, no, actually, in the first 40 chapters, he's telling them, because of, your, because of the sin of the people of Israel, you're going to be taken into exile. And then in, verse, in chapters 40 um, through 66, we see this, in this vision of Isaiah, what the, what the response is going to be as they cry out uh, to the Lord when they realize their circumstances. And so that's what's happening And we're going to see how they respond out of their great need. How, how the vision says they're going to respond out of their great need. And so we come to our passage this morning, and if I can summarize it down to what I'm going to say we're going to see today, is that we desperately need God to look upon us because our ways naturally turn his face away from us. Let's look to Isaiah 63. We're going to begin in verse 15 and look, read through verse 19. This is God's word. It says, look down from heaven and see, from your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. For you are our father. Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while, but our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. As we turn to our passage this morning, I want to ask you to do something simple with me if you're willing to do this. And it's to pray out loud with me this prayer. It's, Lord, look upon us this morning. Okay, we're going to pray that together if you're willing to do so. Let's pray. Lord, look upon us this morning. Amen. Now let me tell you what you just prayed for the rest of this sermon. Um, first point, we desperately need our God to look upon us. We see here in verse 15, the, um, what, what we see here is the continuation of the theme we've been talking about. Um, and it's the beginning of a deep and heartfelt prayer, a crying out before the Lord. It's a plea for the face of God, the smile of God, the, the manifest presence of God to be upon his people, that they would sense and know his presence. They're pleading, Lord, look down and see. Another way to say this is, Lord, make your face to shine upon us. You might recognize that phrase um, from, if you've been in church much in your life, that number six benediction. We call it blessing and sending here, but that, that blessing over the people of God uh, where he says, make your face to shine upon us, be gracious to us, lift up your countenance upon us, give us peace. Um, we see in chapter 64, verse 7, which is just following this that John will look at more next week, we actually see the negative side of this where it says, Lord, you have hidden your face from us. 
And so this, this look upon us and see is, Lord, make your face shine upon us. But this plea to God is not some general plea. Garrison Young told us last week, and Pastor John continues to share this as well, um, God's people, the people of Israel in the Old Testament, and all the followers of Jesus in his church since, need to continue coming back over and over and over again to the character of God. To the one that doesn't move. The one that doesn't change. We come back to him again and again. Who he is. What his word says he is. Because that gives glory to God. And it stabilizes or, or brings a firm foundation or an anchor of the soul or a cornerstone. You recognize all those words? It brings that to God's people. And so the pleading remembers the character of God and who he has been to his people. It comes from a recognition of who God is. And so we're going to see what, what this, a couple things we draw out from this passage here about who God is. I'll say a couple. It's, a, it's more than that. One, verse 15. He is holy and on high. All right, his throne is holy, meaning he is just. He's the just God. And Isaiah earlier in Isaiah is, is the holy, holy, holy. That's where we see that. He is the, the just, powerful God, the right God. And it says he's on high, meaning that he is the supreme Lord over all, the ruler over all. It's an acknowledgement that he is their just ruler. This holy and on high. We also see um, the second part of verse 15, his great zeal and his might. The zeal um, is a passionate commitment whereby he keeps his promises. You remember the phrase in scripture, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, he will do it. It's this idea that he's going to do what he said he, did, what he, said he would do. This is the zeal of the Lord. And his might is his strength to handle it. Is his strength to be able to do it to complete this, this task that he says he's going to do. You remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about the Redeemer coming up um, and the, the people see it and, and he's clothed in the, in the blood. And, and I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, but, but it was this idea that he was strong and mighty to save. We also see his tenderness, verse 15c, the third part of verse 15. It's, it's the stirring of his inward parts in deep passion. Uh, we've said this often, but um, in, um, in, in Hebrew, this inward parts, the idea here is at the very core, the heart, the essence of who God is, right? He's tender towards his people. And then he is, we see his compassion. Also in the third, far, third part of verse 15, we see his compassion. And this is that overwhelming love of God towards his people. Well, Paul's there for just a minute because right at the end of that, it says he's saying all those things and he goes, it's like those things are held back, right? But the tense of that verb 
um, if you like you know, verb tenses and things, the tense of that verb, um, it's actually a reflexive verb. And what that means is, though, he's, though, though it's saying these things, it's saying them in this reflexive way towards the questions that he's asking. It's like, where is all these things? And it's like, they're held back. But, but what he's saying there is, these things are all true of you, Lord. Why aren't you showing them? We know they're true. And so it's a prayer, it's a cry in this thing, a cry of belief, a cry of faith that God hasn't changed, that these things are still true of him. And it continues in verse 16. He is the father. They desperately need his favor. The people of Israel throughout their history talk about the God of Abraham, their father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? You hear that over and over and over again if you read the Bible. Okay? While, you're, while, while he's saying that, while, while they say that over and over and over again, you know what they, never, they hardly ever do? Is talk about God as the father. Right? Because the Israelites didn't dare approach God in that type of way. Here, he says, Abraham can't help us. Abraham doesn't know us. Israel, that is Jacob, Jacob can't help us. He won't acknowledge us. All those we take hope in, our, our family, our, our, our people, the people we're a part of, our nation that we're a part of, all those things we take hope in, those things can't help us. Oh, we've got to run back to our Father, the Lord. When his face is turned away, it's as if they feel like illegitimate children almost. But they're coming back and crying out to the Father. He's also the Redeemer. Into verse 16. Our Redeemer of old is your name. While they feel alienated from Abraham, the father of all Israel, while they feel separated from Israel, that, that's Jacob, who gave them the name that demonstrates their privileges. They, they, they have all these feelings, and into that spot, that void, they fill. Into that place, only God. Only God, whose character is the Redeemer, their Helper, their Savior, the one who can bring the people back. I should make you think ahead, right, to Jesus to come. But only he can step into this place and help the people. They have a desperate need for him. And so this prayer, in it we see a recognition of the desperate need for God. Isaiah's telling them, look forward. And when all this happens, this is what you're going to come to. Is that God and God alone can help you. The only God, the triune God, the God who never changes, the God of whom all these things are true. He's your father. You need to look upon him. Only he can save you. Now, it's a lot about the people of Israel, right? We need this God also. This Father. 
this one who never changes. We need him to look upon us. We need to know his presence in our lives. We live in a culture, just see if this sounds familiar, okay? We live in a culture that teaches us that the goal of our life is our happiness and our satisfaction. It teaches us also that if we gain enough knowledge and we gain enough experience to get everything in order, then we can just enjoy the good life on some sort of cruise control. And you know, that's bad enough for those that don't know Jesus. But the problem is we do it as followers of Jesus too. We adopt this motto, figure things out, get everything's in our, everything in our lives and in the lives of our kids, get it all organized. We make sure they're doing just kind of, everybody's doing the right thing and then get it under control. And then we battle like crazy to try to keep it that way. Here's the problem. Well, it's one of the problems. There's, this is the one we're going to talk about today. We just, when we think we have it, if you ever think that, circumstances in our lives change. They're always changing. Maybe you've heard the saying attributed to the Greek philosopher, you never step in the same river twice because the river is always flowing. You never step into the same river twice because the river is always flowing. That's the reality in our lives as well, right? Circumstances change. People and culture around us change. We even change. Hopefully. We need our God, who never changes, to look upon us. We need to ask him to turn his face upon us, to show us his presence, and his love every day. And so our prayer might look like the one in the passage. It might sound something even like this. God, Father, one of our men in, in early prayer on Sunday mornings always says, Abba, Daddy. But this coming to him, Redeemer, we desperately want to feel the joy and pleasure of knowing that you see us. Knowing that you know us and all that's going on in our hearts and minds and lives. Knowing that even with all that, you will not leave us or forsake us. Because right now, Lord, we feel like your face is turned away from us. This leads us to our second point. Um, hold on to, to the first and we'll come back to it in the end. But this leads to the second point. And that is that, that the reason Isaiah is telling them they're going to feel so desperate and cry out to him. The reason is because their ways, and we can apply this to us today, our ways naturally turn his face away. So to understand what's going on here, I want to go back a minute and think about this. What's the context of the whole book of Isaiah? Right? The context of the whole book of Isaiah is that the people persisted in their own disobedience. 
The people persisted in doing what they wanted to do. And what was the result of that? The result of the persistent disobedience and failure to call upon God, the failure to obey what God said was good and right, the result was is that they joined in with what others around them were doing. They did what their hearts said felt right and good. And it all led to what Isaiah was telling them in this prophecy that they are going to cry out what we see in verses 17 to 19. So look at this list for a minute. It led to this. Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways? Lord, why do you harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Lord, why have you turned your face away? Lord, our adversaries have trampled down your house. Do you not see? Lord, it is like we are enemies of you. Lord, it is like you have not called us by name. That's a pretty tough list. Let me say this to ensure that, that we're not watering down the word of God. I'm going to, say, I'm going to ask you a couple questions, okay? Is it true what we see in verses 17 and 19 ends up being the experience of the people of Israel? Yes. Is it true that the sinful actions of the people, that because of the sinful actions of the people, God hardened their hearts? Yes. And is it true that in their experience, it felt like God had completely abandoned them? Yes. We may not like that the word of God says this, but we can't argue that that's what it says here. And honestly, it's what it says in a lot of other passages of Scripture as well. And so I want to make two quick points. Knowing that as the backdrop, but so knowing that, I want to make two more quick points here. If God had abandoned them, he would have been perfectly just to do so. If God had abandoned them, he would have been perfectly just to do so. This, this aside from his promises and his, his covenant that he's made, okay? In his character, he cannot look upon sin without doing something about it. Our ways are naturally sinful, and so he naturally and justly turns away from sin. Nothing we can do, nothing we could do, can make him change that. And that is really hard for us, particularly as Western Christians. Even as followers of Jesus, we like to think that maybe we contributed something to get God to pay attention to us. But when we insist upon that, we lose the heart and the core of who God is. We lose the distinct glory that is His and His alone. And then when we lose that, it's easy for us to forget that we are to cry out to Him to look upon us. And we forget that there is nowhere else 
to turn. There's plenty of other places to turn. There's just nowhere else helpful to turn. And so if God had abandoned us, he would have been, he would have been perfectly just to do so. And God is also gracious, loving, merciful, and kind. But he doesn't overlook the sin of his people. See, sometimes we, we think about this and we're like, well, God's gracious and loving and merciful and kind, so, so he doesn't see my sin. But please understand, no, he saw it and it was costly. It cost the life of Jesus. The death, death of the perfect Son of God. But he also rose again, as we know. He dealt with the sin of people through his work so that he can be gracious and loving as we battle against those things in this life. He dealt with it so that we can cry out, Lord, turn your face upon us. Look upon us. But remember this too. When we ask the Lord to look upon us, when we ask him to look upon us, we are also saying, Lord, I want to find my identity in you and you alone. Not in what people think about my preaching, not in how good I am at sports, not at what, how many followers I have on social media, not at what friend groups I have, not how, much I, um, how well I perform at my job. Lord, I want to find my identity in you and you alone as your child. I want, to look upon, I want you to look upon me to be present by the power of your Holy Spirit to change me. When we say, Lord, look upon us, we're saying, Lord, I want your strength because I seek to give up anything that you tell me is bad for me. Even if it feels good to me or seems to make me happy. When we say, Lord, look upon us, we are also saying, and these are some, I'm going to give you a few poignant examples. Um, this is not an exhaustive list. When we say, Lord, look upon us, we are also saying, Lord, I want to turn from my emotional affair going on outside my marriage. We're saying, Lord, I want to turn from my physical relationship outside of the bonds of marriage. Lord, I want, to, I want strength when I'm tempted to tap that phone screen for that video or that image. Lord, I want strength when I'm tempted to fly off the handle in anger at my children. Lord, I want strength when I'm tempted to dishonest gain in my work or when I want to cheat my employer with laziness. Lord, I want strength when, I find my, when, when my friends expect me to be something or do something the way they say I should do it just so I can be accepted or approved of. Lord, I want strength to believe your love for me and to turn away from the shame and manipulation in this world. Again, those are examples. You all know there's many more things we could say there. we say, Lord, look upon us, we're saying, Father, ruler and loving Father, I want to fight my sin for as long as I have breath because of who you are. And I will run again and again 
and again to you. Because in Jesus, you do look at me in love, in mercy, in grace. And so, Lord, I will ask you to turn your face upon me and be gracious to me, to lift up your countenance upon me. Lord, to bring me peace in the midst of this life. The Father, as one song puts it, turned his face away from Jesus on the cross so that we can now cry out to him. Lord, turn your face upon us. Show your presence in my life. Tell me who I am in you as your child and strengthen me to battle, to follow and obey what you say is good for me. As we prepare for the Lord's table, I want to I ask now, come back around to the thing we prayed earlier. Will you ask him to look upon you this morning? Will you ask him to make his presence known in your life so that you might have his love, his mercy, and his grace, but also so that you might turn from sin and follow him? Will you ask him that this morning? And as he shows it to you, as he shows you those places of sin, just lay those before him. So Lord Jesus, we come this morning and Lord, as we plead with you to turn your face upon us, Lord, we say thank you Thank you that as those who come to you in submission to who you are and what you've done through your son, Jesus, Lord, thank you that you hear our prayers. You hear when your people confess before you. And you say that as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us when we come to you in the Lord Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.